Well, that is a lot louder, yes. Good? Wow, okay. Is that too loud? Okay, all right, I'll crank it up. All right, here we go. So I, I had a teacher once who said in an offhand kind of way, um, tension. Tension is good. After all, that's how a spring works. And his point was that sometimes a little tension gets a story moving along. It draws us in and gets our attention, right? And without tension in books and movies and the stories of Jesus' life, they'd all be kind of boring. If you could guess every ending and anticipate every joke, you never watch a movie to its end or laugh at anyone's humor. Tension, then, is what gets us involved in a story. In the Gospel of Luke, the author knows this very well. And so we're never really sure what's going to happen next. For example, right before our passage for today, at the beginning of Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes back to his hometown. He goes back and he explains his identity and his calling as God's anointed agent of love and peace and restoration. Jesus explains to the townspeople that he's been given the Holy Spirit so that he can proclaim God's ways of life and love in the world. So that he can bring healing and freedom to those suffering under every type of bondage and decay. So that he can speak a word of peace into chaos. So that he can show those who cannot see beyond their most immediate needs a different way so that he can show them God's deep concern and desire to redeem. So, when Jesus lays all of this out, they try and throw him off a cliff. Which is not exactly how you'd expect a story about Jesus to begin. So then, from that tension, we come to our passage today. So Jesus has moved away from his hometown and has gone into a new town, Capernaum. And here, he is received with open arms. And the author tells us that the people were amazed by Jesus. So on the Sabbath day, when the Jewish people worshipped, he goes into the synagogue, into their worship service, and begins talking about God and God's ways. And he begins casting out demons. He begins his mission to restore all things, to bring healing and love into the darkest parts of our hearts, and into the deepest recesses of the world. After leaving the synagogue, Jesus heals a woman suffering from a high fever, and then the floodgates open. Luke tells us this, As the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on them and cured them. This kind of sentence can easily be rushed over, but this is a really wild scene. It's important to note that the people waited until sunset to bring the people to Jesus. Because according to Jewish law and custom, you didn't walk too far or carry heavy loads on the Sabbath. 
So the people waited until the sun went down and the Sabbath was over before they set out. So what this points to is a sense of anticipation. That people had waited all day long to head out with their sick friends so that they could be healed by Jesus. People who thought they were doomed to suffer without any relief in sight. They waited all day long for the person who they heard had the power to heal. They wondered if he would ever come to their town. And when he did, they wondered if he would have time for them. They heard he was finally there and they waited all day to receive the impossible. To receive a chance to have Jesus' touch restore them back. A touch that would point to a love, to a power, and a depth that they never imagined to exist before that day. So when the people got there and saw their friends, they noticed people who were almost forgotten by the community. They were glad for the cover of darkness, not wanting their friends to see them in their anguish. There were people waiting for Jesus who were coughing uncontrollably and people trying to avoid their coughs. There are people who no one expected to see seeking healing looking straight ahead. There were anxious mothers clutching their children close to their hearts, breathing shallow breaths, almost daring to hope that Jesus was really who he said he was. So as the line grew shorter, the people became more and more hopeful after they saw person after person released and healed and made new. They saw people walking away from Jesus as people who had been touched by the same power, healed by the same words that spoke the whole universe into being. These people walked away and they were different. They had been healed and blessed by Christ the King. So this marathon healing session goes all night long. And then Luke tells us this. At daybreak, Jesus departed and went into a deserted place. However, all of the people had not had all of their wounds healed. And by now, the whole town was in a frenzy. Jesus' power had turned even the most skeptical among them into people who desperately wanted the touch and attention of Christ. So Luke tells us that the crowds were looking for Jesus, and when they found him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving. What a contrast to Jesus' hometown. When Jesus was in Nazareth, in his hometown with his people, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. And now, here in Capernaum, people have gone looking for him. Later on in Luke, Jesus says that he came to seek and to save those who are lost. But here we have people seeking Jesus, not the other way around. And so we expect that Jesus will open up his hands, that he will patiently receive all those who need his touch, and heal everybody before moving on to another town. However, that's not what Jesus does. Instead, Luke tells us that the people wanted to keep Jesus from leaving 
But instead, Jesus says to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. And at these words, people's hearts must have sunk. Some traveled all night to find him, and after getting word of his power, they were met with his absence. Some poor guy was within range of Jesus' hands and thought about grabbing them and placing them on his friend just to see if that would bring some relief. Someone will never forget what it looked like as the sun hit off of Jesus' eyes before he made his announcement. Another person will never forget the sigh that erupted from the crowd when Jesus said he was moving on. These are the kind of memories that stick with a person forever. Sometimes people like to wonder about what they would ask Jesus if they ever had the chance. I'm sure if you asked those people in the crowd that day, they'd have a few questions for Jesus. Why couldn't you have waited one more day, or at least a few more hours? What was so important about the kingdom of God that you had to move on so quickly? Didn't you care about my mother? She suffered so much in her final years. I imagine many of the questions would be something like this. Jesus, why on earth did you leave? Many of us can relate to questions like this. We've wondered when Je- where Jesus was when we needed him most. We can think of people who desperately need Christ's touch but never seem to receive it. We know what it is like to pray for miracles and wonder if God is listening at all. We wonder about God and God's ways more than we would like to admit. And yet, on the other hand, as many of us know, the first step is admitting the problem. That it is hard to believe in a miraculous God in a world that has gone awry. That it is hard to trust in a God who gives and who takes away. That it is hard to believe in a good God when there is so much in the world that is bad. And yet, on the other other hand, many of us have also been touched by this healing Christ, have been blessed and released by this healing Christ, have been ministered to and loved by even this group of people, people who have welcomed us and learned our name, who've cared for our concerns and lifted us up in prayer. We exist in this tension. We know doubt and worry and fear. And we also know strength and faith and freedom and trust. We exist in the place portrayed in Psalm 143 where the author writes this. The enemy has pursued me, crushing my life to the ground, making me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me 
My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I think about all your deeds, O Lord. I meditate on the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. And a few verses later, let me hear of your steadfast love in the morning, for in you I put my trust. Teach me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. The world of this psalm is one in which the author struggles and doubts and yet returns to the Lord, putting their trust in God, lifting up their concerns and putting them in God's firm grip. This is a life of faith, the life of faith. Placing our doubts and dreams before God and allowing God to minister to us in our questions and pain and confusion. We pledge our allegiance to him, knowing that we will not be spared from life's storms, but trusting that he alone is our rock and our shield and our strong tower. But, into the midst into the midst of this tension comes the promise, comes the hope and the good news of God. While Jesus does indeed tell the people that he's leaving, the reason for his departure makes all the difference in the world. Jesus tells the people this, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. This sentence, though short, is heavy with meaning. The Greek word as translated, that's translated as proclaim the good news is very important. It's because the good news was not originally a religious term. It was a political and military term. And it means something like good news of victory from the battlefield. So when Jesus is proclaiming the good news, he is claiming that he is actively defeating and announcing the defeat of all powers that oppose him and his kingdom. When Jesus proclaims the good news, he is saying that Satan, that all the powers of darkness, that every way that society forms itself in opposition to God and God's ways is finally being defeated. It's being defeated through Christ's ministry and through the kingdom of God as God works to right every wrong and to make all things new. So the healings, the casting out of demons, the relief of misery is not the end. It's the beginning. For in these deeds of power, Jesus is claiming his lordship and taking back the earth as his own. These healings demonstrate God's will for the world. They point to God's kingdom, to God's plans to bring about full redemption and healing even to this earth, to these bodies, to this neighborhood, and to this city. Though we live in tension, waiting for God's touch, 
receiving healing and grace when we least expect it. We do not wait alone or in vain. For we know that we have not been left in this world as orphans, but that Christ himself has sent his spirit to us, guiding us into all truth, ministering to us, bringing us deeper into communion with God and with each other. We don't have all the answers. We're never promised that we won't suffer. But we have God and we have each other. And by God's grace and love, that's how we'll make it through. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We thank you that in all of our distress that you too are distressed and that you long to meet us in our need and to give us what we need. I pray that you would give us patience and hope in you and with each other. I pray that you continue to unite us deeper into your fellowship and into your love. Thank you for your welcome of us. I pray that you would help us to extend that to you as we welcome you, as we welcome others, and even as we welcome ourselves. Grant us your peace. Grant us your love. In your name, Jesus. Amen.